0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm your host, co-founder and editorial director of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, Jamie Bogner. This is episode 232 of the podcast, and we are sitting in the top-secret facility uh, <laughs> of a brewery formerly known as Boca Rider now generally known by its shorthand, Boca. But uh, And joining me to talk about brewing are both managing editor Joe Stang on one mic over here. Hey. Welcome, Joe. Thank you. Joe has set up this entire Belgium trip, and we appreciate the deep work that he's done to pull this together. Um, and on the other microphone is Rafa Suvariens, the brewer blender. Actually, you're not a brewer,
1: right? No, not uh, yet, yeah. at least.
2: I'm home brewing.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's it so far. <laughs> that counts. We count that as <laughs> brewers. Sure, then sure. A brewer. It's yep.
0: all it's all brewing, right? Um, blender and. Uh, uh, the man and palette behind the brand um it's a very small operation it's a small warehouse here in uh hustles um you got your start doing it on a small scale basically as a home brewer and have expanded Mm -hmm. from that into a larger scale blending operation Currently, not making your own wort; you're buying wort from lambic makers. Uh, generally speaking, but also do creative blends with styles outside of lambic farmhouse sales. Um, you know, and are doing some genre bending things that are harder to define by classic definition. Uh, I'm excited to talk about those kinds of things, some of the techniques that you bring from your experience making wine, and some of those things you, you know, especially when it comes to using fruit in beer. Um, we're going to talk about some techniques to you know focus on uh, elements of beer that often get overlooked, like texture. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we're going to to talk about uh, what the future holds for the brewery right here. Before we do that, what if you could chill your beer with a more efficient chiller? The answer g and d chillers, new micro channel condensers, G and d's condensers are highly efficient in hotter regions. Use a fraction of the refrigerant over traditional chillers, which provides less opportunity for leaks. Along with lower global warming potential. GD Chiller's engineers are committed to green technology design while developing a more energy efficient chiller for the brewing industry. Contact GD Chillers today at gdchillers.com. Also, get back to the future with Weyerman Iceria 1924, made from the oldest German malting barley variety. Iceria shows malty sweet flavor and a soft biscuit-like aroma. This heirloom malt makes amazing traditional Bavarian-style lagers, not to mention modern craft lagers and malt-forward ales. For more info, samples, and orders, please visit go.bsgcraft.com slash contact-us. Readers of Craft Beer and Brewing may recognize Boca, they the brand Boca Reiter, uh, because it was Boca Rider at the time in 2018, oh. when it appeared in the magazine and was one of our beers of the year. Uh, it was oh. Um, you know, a uh, peach beer. Yeah. That you make with uh, with peaches, um, that trophy is somehow has never never made it here. We'll we'll figure out and we'll track <laughs> it down and make sure that it somehow gets here. Got sent back by a Belgian Post at one point, uh, and then you know uh, I think we got it to somebody else to bring it over here, and then of course COVID happened, and man, it's just crazy. It's
2: it's either in Ohio or in Massachusetts, but it's, 100% in, it's sure in Massachusetts. It will. Mas- I can
0: tell you it's in Massachusetts. I then do it remember it went to that.
2: Greg Keane has it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: it's on this display probably. <laughs> somehow it'll get here, but. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and of course, there's a breakout brewer from earlier in 2018 when I was able to come out here and, uh, and visit and, you, uh, you know, shared plenty about approaches to, to blending. So if you are a subscriber to the magazine, go dig through those back issues, check it out on the app um, and read that story with the fantastic Photograph, yeah, sure. absolutely it's fantastic <laughs> channeling hunter s thompson with a cigarette hanging out of your mouth and a gun slung over your shoulder yeah yeah <clears throat> the outlaw blender josie wales uh, so raf talk to us about your uh, your history um through beer through beverages in general because it isn't just beer um talk to me about this journey that you've taken in this this world of uh wine and beer to to get to where you are here what how'd you catch the bug and then what did you do to pursue learning around it in order to uh you know get to the point where you could start your own professional uh business blending beer
2: Um mm-hmm. uh, so me starting beer well of course as a kid in belgium you start drinking beer from the age of 12 but you're just slamming lagers and that's about it sure and only getting craft beer actually well you know there's craft beer around everywhere but i never was too interested in it, it only happened when i was in college it was in third year i was there i think 2006 i met this actually american guy from uh, iowa and he uh gave me because it's just two weeks ago a friend from america brought a can for me and gave me a two-hearted ale which is basically like a supermarket beer in the u.s these days but that was the first really good
0: supermarket beer holy
2: shit that beer that beer is still good because that yeah. beer was fucking old since it's, it's from the 90s or something it started and then, oh, yeah. you know, it's just like solid classic beer and that was the first actual craft beer i had and first beer that was like you know i drank it all. like this is so fucking different from everything else I ever tasted. This is so fucking good. That's what brought me into, into crap here, Bell's actually. too hearted. Bell's too hearted. Oh, if
0: I had to guess at the answer to that question, <laughs> that would not any
2: be anywhere on the list for that. Whenever people from the U.S. fly and ask me, how oh, do you need something? It's either Coors Light or Bell's Too <laughs> hard. But the Coors Light is more of a joke. The Coors Light is a beer that I love drinking in the U.S., it's not craft beer of course. But in, in a lot of places in the US the the tap water tastes like fucking swimming pools. So then of course light like, tastes better than tap water. That's you know, it's not really A mm, little bit. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But the, the too hard it basically got me into craft beer and then uh, from there I started being interested in going to tastings and you know, back in the days checking rate beer and checking the news. There was even like some you know, some still sort of, like physical magazines out there and you could discover new breweries or new beers. So that's where the whole thing started, and at the same time, I also had an interest in in uh, in wine because my 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 father, my mother, too, to a large extent, are like wine lovers, wine drinkers. And at some point, things just came together by coincidence, basically. So I was I was helping out there's uh, in the south of this province. Uh, it's Hasspanghau. Uh, it's like the main fruit producing region in Belgium. And there was those rolling hills there, um, and there's a lot of uh, well, a lot. There's several uh, vineyards there. Uh, most winemakers in Belgium are around that region because you have those those nice hills and stuff. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, through, some, through my father initially and then some other connections, I was just helping with some of those winemakers, you know, just pruning, harvesting, uh, and pressing wine, bottling, whatever, because I was interested in all of those things. At the same time, I was also interested in, in beer, you know, like drinking craft beer, but I never really felt too much like brewing beer. Cause it takes so fucking long you're just waiting and <laughs> waiting when you're brewing beer <laughs> which is ironic because now right. i have three years to wait for a single barrel to be ready but i can't wait two hours when you're brewing beer <laughs> because it's boring <laughs> um <laughs> but that's how in, in 2013 like a few things came together that i was helping with a with a guy it's like 25 minutes from here he was bottling a, a chardonnay and the wine and the harvest from the year before and uh it was the last time he used certain barrels, and he had one barrel that was, so a normal burgundy barrel is uh, 60 gallons. Oh shit, friends coming over there. Uh, so normal burgundy barrel is 60 gallons to 28 liters. And he had one of those smaller, like a Fouillette they call it, which is a half size burgundy barrel, so it's only 30 gallons. Uh we emptied that barrel, uh we washed it and then he said, Here, take the barrel with you. I'm like, what am I supposed to do with that barrel? He said, Well, go fill it with that lambic beer I always talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, All right, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> so the next day I, I put the barrel in my in my in my trunk. And I just drove to Brussels and you know, I've I've been to a few of those places before just to pick up some bottled beer and hang out and to have something at their tap rooms uh yeah but that was the first time i had a barrel and i just went to all those breweries i'm like yeah i have this barrel here can i fill it or can you help me to fill it and i drove to a few breweries and you know everyone poured in some at the end of the day i came back with a barrel of beer (laughs) and i was like that's a cool fucking story but what the fuck am i gonna do with that barrel now (laughs) so and then i was also using uh my my grandma's house uh so the year before, she moved to an apartment. Her house was empty. So I was actually using the, the cellar. She has a really nice underground cellar there. She's perfect for conditioning beer and wine and stuff. So I was using that, that place already. And I called her and I'm like, yeah, I have this barrel of beer. Can I put it in your house for a little bit? She was like, yeah, sure. And that's how that barrel ended up in her. And we, we tried to put it over the bathtub. But then, then it turned and it fell into the bathtub. <laughs> but we just left it sitting in the bathtub. It was sitting there for about a year and then, and then, yeah that's how it started and at some point I was a friend uh, whose uh, girlfriend had sour cherries in her garden or at least her neighbor had but the tree was so big there was so much overhanging fruit which you can't legally pick in belgium so we just harvest sour cherries and i put it on the beer that was in my barrel and that's how it all started that's how a few things just came together randomly and and that first beer turned out complete shit; it was undrinkable yeah but i love the process of it i love doing that whole thing uh, i never understood what went wrong with that beer but the, the year after I, I tried it again and i filled a few more barrels actually and that's how it slowly started and
0: yeah. f- f- lambic makers would just sell you wort.
2: Uh, no some, no initially some guy? initially it was it was lambic but mostly you know like youngish lambic like like a year or, or slightly younger or older like like young lambic uh, or older Lambic, of course, you know, it's more precious to anyone who's blending or brewing sure, beer. Sure. So it's mostly a young Lambic. But I, could, I picked it up at breweries and and, and, uh, and I just put it back into a barrel at home. It was no big deal. You can further it depending on, you know, there's a few parameters, of course, and you have to take care of uh, oxygen and stuff. Sure, sure. Um, but initially, in, in to, like in 2013 and 14. In twelve, I also picked up some beer. Actually, already that was before I had my first barrel, and I made a few blends and a few tests. I was actually baking bread with it. <laughs> I used it as a as a as a sourdough starter, basically. Um, um, but in 2012, 13 and fourteen, I bought lambic, uh, mostly young lambic or a bit older. And then in fifteen, I started. In fourteen, also, I bought a little bit of wort, but in fifteen, I went to only wort because it takes some time of course too you know you're in touch with those people and and they're like what the fuck is that guy coming to do? sure and sure more uh, cuz i'm definitely not from the region i'm not from paytalan or sena valley it's it's like more than an hour away um, but i'll tell them the story you know i can get this beautiful fruit in my region because we're we're known for our fruit and you know for the beer and I love your beer and you know let's combine those things it takes some time of course I'm sure uh, it's
0: a very relationship focused business and yeah, people exactly. want to know you're doing it yeah, doing exactly. the right thing and doing it the right way
2: yeah exactly you know because they also have that and it's something I'm uh, I always respected of course they have that whole history and tradition it's like sure. it's so much more than a beer it's, it's a culture really and it's you know it's it's in, their, it's in their blood literally so you don't have to offend them or anything you make stupid shit with their beer. So uh, of course I have my own style. Of They're making not pure they
0: capitalists. It is not about selling as much as they can. It oh is no, no, Definitely no, no, no. about
2: yeah. Oh yeah! and they, they have sometimes they have like an ethical line, which is almost too hard to cross. Sure. <laughs> but sure. But you know, it's it's nice. It's really yeah. <laughs> makes you respect them much more actually because they. I feel like, for example, we're drinking this beer now, the Girat de that's fourth or fifth generation in the same family doing that thing and making that beer. And they've seen really hard times. You know, they had good times, they had hard times. They've seen everything. So they have that whole whole history. They take it with them. Paul knows who his father may be. Grandfather, he heard all those stories. So they, you know, it's a whole luggage to have with them. And and. and I don't want to offend them or, sure. or do anything that I don't like. Of course, I have my own style of making beer, and and Paul Paul that. Paul did that. For example, he's a good example. That guy, he you know, we always had a good relation from the start. Actually, he you said you're a bit crazy in what you're thinking. He says, but I hope it works. He said because he doesn't necessarily like all of my beers. That's for sure not the case. He likes very few of my beers. <laughs> 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 but, but he respects the way I make beer. And yeah. he says, it's, it's a very interesting approach, he says, because nobody made Lambic in that way yet. And I hope it works. And I hope you find people are interested in that product. At the same time, I have to... Have to have have the same well have even more respect of course to him to, to to the whole history and everything they do. And they're not gonna do much crazy shit, you know, it's not in their genes. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Nor do they need to because yeah, they're exactly. making a beautiful they're beautiful product as it is. That's solid product. I mean we're drinking that the regular black label goes right now here. This is just this is <laughs> this beer is so good why would you change it sure never change a winning team and this beer has probably been the same for the last decades i don't know i wasn't there but this beer is you know this is one of the lambics also i use a fermenter for more into lambic and everything but this beer and the way you taste this coming from that brewery this this beer creates a stage in which you can do a million different things this beer is so solid so beautiful my, my go-to good it's the only beer i ever drink alone i never drink when i'm alone yeah uh, That's uh, if, you, right if, if you make beer it's very risky if you start drinking alone. <laughs> sure <laughs> sure sure. doorstep to alcoholism is right there um only Girada. So, Girada I, can, I can really like sit in the sofa in the evening and it will take me all the evening to finish a bottle but i'll enjoy every sip of it and if i can't finish on one night no problem next day it tastes even better <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. benefits if the benefits if the excess carbonation is gone, against slight oxidation note, that beer is incredibly amazing.
0: <laughs> so you build some relationships, and you start buying wort from lambic brewers and blenders yes and you bring it back here you're about an hour uh east of brussels Uh, it's not like you said it's not the traditional lambic brewing region it's Uh not and so you couldn't necessarily brew spontaneous beer here and call it lambic uh, without upsetting some people that's a whole another issue we won't get into that Uh um you know but you start making beer uh, and blend you know aging it here on in your own barrels um you know how did that when did you decide, hey, I need to now do this at a certain kind of volume with a certain kind of output in order to support this and then, you know, rent a warehouse and actually become a professional at this?
2: I initially didn't have a plan, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in 2014, I, I made it official, so so I already had a a business, so VAT number and business license, all those things. I had those already, and I just extended it to because officially it's a brewery. I don't brew beer, but officially it's not. Brewery sure, sure. is not a thing officially, so it's a brewery. You do but, ferments, so yeah. Yeah, it's a brewer ferment, a ferment wort, grain-based wort, which makes you a brewery. You turn it into uh, alcohol, and that yeah, makes you a brewery. Exactly. Yeah. So from two thousand fourteen, my my VAT number includes being a brewery. But honestly, I, I, back then I still had my main job too, and I was I was just working during the day and in the evening at night and on weekends I was making beer. I never had any plans with it. I thought it was a fun hobby, and you know, so you're creating alcohol, and then you can also deduct it from your taxes, which is even better. So I said, okay, let's turn it into a business. We'll see. Of course, you know, at some point you 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 you. <laughs> you yeah, have more than five or ten barrels. You, know, yeah, you have to become a serious alcoholic or you have to indeed have a sort of commercial plan or a way to, to commercialize the beer. But I basically, you know, was it? that was 28, 29 at that moment. That's the moment where everyone, like, buys a house or and buy their first BMW and all that shit. (laughs) I bought barrels. (laughs) 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 So, you know, you put it into bricks or something, like like a thing of four wheels or whatever, and I put it into barrels, and, you know, it was fine with that. I was like, you know, I'm not planning to have a family anytime soon yet, Uh, and I just invested my money in that, and, you know, if if you're throwing it away at a fucking BMW or barrels, well, I'd rather buy barrels because, you know, so that's how it started, but I didn't have a plan actually. Yet at the same time, and and was like in late 2015, I had too many barrels to drink them and share them with all my friends. So, and I was actually producing beer, so I had small batches of this and that and that beers. I actually went to, to like drink shops here in Belgium and some bars, some craft beer bars. Uh, but nobody was interested. In the, <laughs> 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 the best response you got, well, there was two responses. Either, yeah, it's interesting, <laughs> which means shit, uh, and the other one, yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad for a homebrew. Uh, you know, fair enough. <laughs> nobody wanted to pay anything for it, really. And 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 suddenly it all all changed when when in, it was December 15. I got an invite for. Uh, NBCC, uh, the Nuclear Beer Celebration Copenhagen, uh, and, and that's where in May 16, we were invited to that festival, and then the whole thing, expl- well, that's where it started properly, and then later on mm-hmm. the next year, I won that award from Raid Beer in 17 it was I think, and then the whole thing exploded, and then I ran like in 2016, when that whole thing started going crazy, I immediately rented this warehouse, because it was You know, I was doing this whole thing from Grandma's house, still. Right, (laughs) and the house was at some point the house was so full of barrels and stuff that the last the last barrels of wort we filled that season last three or four we put in the garden because there was no space but we put them under some trees and under some shrubs and we put some crap on top of it to insulate. <laughs> <laughs> those barrels were sitting in the garden for for more than a half a year They were totally fine huh. uh yeah so and, and how uh, about the house i was just running out of space in that house and then and, and, uh, there was also, the the thing is, like if officially, I was making beer at a local winery. You know, we signed some paperwork to make sure that officially everything was sound and yeah. safe, because it was absolutely not legal to run a business from that house, or right? To, right. To produce alcohol. There. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that's how it kind of it. Grew it kind of grew naturally, and then at some point in the sixteen and in, in fifteen. I was like, let's let's stop doing this. I'm I'm going to sell some of the beer to friends, and then I'm going to uh, you know decrease the amount of barrels I have, and it's going to be a nice hobby. But I can never turn it into a business. And then when the whole thing with Copenhagen happened, then I was like, all right, I'm going to rent a warehouse, and we're going to do this properly now. One and festival
0: invite changed the entire direction. Changed everything. Wow. It was
2: crazy. Yeah,
0: yeah. It was it was absolutely nuts. So then you scaled. And in fact, let's talk a little bit more about this, because then the story takes a wild turn last year. um, And it's, it's something that we have to talk about before we do that. Is your brewery struggling to source or afford berry ingredients, historic heat waves, devastated U.S. berry crops, causing supply to dwindle and prices to skyrocket? That's why brewers are switching over to Old Orchard's craft concentrate blends which mimic straight concentrates but at a better price point and with a more reliable supply. Is it any surprise that Old Orchard's best sellers are raspberry and blackberry flavors reclaim your margins and order your craft concentrates at oldorchard.com/brewer. Also, Brew Monitor from Precision Fermentation is the first real-time comprehensive fermentation monitoring solution. It works with your existing fermentation tanks to track dissolved oxygen, pH, gravity, pressure, temperature, and conductivity in real time from any smartphone, tablet, or PC. Brew Monitor provides detailed insight into your fermentations that helps improve beer consistency, reduce tank time, and increase overall efficiency, saving your brewery time and money. Get started for 30 days risk-free. Visit precisionfermentation.com brewing. So you scale this, you decide to go pro with this, that there's enough excitement, buzz, demand for what you do, mm-hmm. you know, to kick off and, and actually turn this into a business. You know, imagine even at that time, you're still not quite ready to quit your your real job with, <laughs> with an actual income. You just decide you're going to have to do more work on the side to do this. Um, you know, what was that next? How many barrels did you then start filling? And, uh, you know, how did you also decide to like what was going to be the brand, you know, because rider has, you know, a, a, there's an expectation around it now. Mm-hmm. But when it didn't exist, you know, like, how did you decide what we're going to be known for, and how I'm going to make that happen?
2: I had no idea. I just, <laughs> well, no, okay, I, sure. no, I had I had a lot of ideas, but no, you know, I didn't have a business plan. I didn't have any. I didn't have it written down. But it's just. I mean, it, 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 everything happened in a natural, like, right. organic way. It's just that at some point you see, all right, I, have, I, I, I I, know this. I know how to do that. I know a bit of this. But, you know, it's like, yeah, it's a complete shit show. Yeah. But then at some point you start connecting all the dots. And that's actually what happened is that I started connecting dot by dot with a few things. You know, like... I like, I, like, I like doing, like, yeah. one day I'm going to retire from making beer, I'm just going to do woodworking, because I love woodworking. <laughs> of course, I'm working with barrels, and that's also kind of woodworking, so that's also a thing I love doing. So suddenly everything came together, and then the fruit whole thing with making fruit beer. As a child, uh, uh, I grew up at a, at a, at a, at a factory, my, my father was, was running a factory. Actually, we had a really big garden, too, and there was, like, uh, cherry trees, trees. Uh, what else? and there was some bushes, we had red kerns, black kerns. you know, we had some fruits in the garden. My grandparents, they had cherries, peaches, a bit of everything too. So that's that's where I had the connection with fruit. I had connection with those ones. It just everything came together. There was never really a plan. But at some point, of course, you have to move on. At some point, I had, I had over 30 barrels of beer sitting there and I was actually producing beer on a very, very tiny scale, but fair enough, you know, it was it was just way too much to drink by myself. <laughs> it became very clear at some sure, point. Sure. <laughs> It just evolved, you know. Yeah. It's, it
1: was never intended. It's, it's still I still can't believe it, seven years later, <laughs> still doing this thing. Sure. As your name <laughs> got out there and and, and people yeah. people started to know about you a little bit, um, did it get harder to get the the lambic that you wanted or the wart that you wanted? And then and then you also developed a relationship at Chiradand too. And how, how did that develop? Uh-huh.
2: The one with Girada, I've developed in a very good way. Of course, they, they, you know, they, 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 they the success uh, I was building and the name I was building for myself, and they also appreciate it very much that I didn't use their name. Of course, when people ask where do you get the beer from, well, I said, well, I get it from Girada and the Trog Lindemans. With um, the Trog also from the start, I had a very good relationship with Lindemans too. You know, some up and down, some few bumps in the road, but it's fine. Like they're, they're, they're cool with what I do. It also expanded uh, two years ago to uh, Den Herberg was, Like became a new producer, and right when they started producing lamb, I contacted them. Say, can I buy a wart? And they were cool with that too. So um, yeah, you just because that's another thing that's happening in the last. Two years at least now, is there's a lot of home blenders who are doing what I was doing seven, eight years ago in my grandma's house. And it's fantastic if that happens because back in the days, if you look at 100 years ago, there were hundreds of blenders everywhere. Like pretty much every bar in and around Brussels was a blender because they had barrels of lambic and they blended their own stuff or they served it. They did whatever the fuck they wanted. So it's nice if that part of the culture is coming back. But it's not nice that people start producing beer and they put on the label, "Oh, this beer contains Girardin. Uh, and then they put like a little splash of Cantillon in it too because that looks very good on the label, you know. With all, you know, all respect to Cantillon, it's very good beer indeed. But you know, people start like showing off with other breweries' names on their homebrew labels, which is, you know, like you're you're basically trying to to use someone else's success to build your own thing, and it's you know you gotta build your own thing. It's very hard of course to make your own name. And 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 but then again, you know, you just Focus on making their beer. Because there's, there's some of those homelenders, they, they spend so much time on their fucking Instagram accounts. If they spent that much time on their beer, their beer would taste a whole lot better. <laughs> they should rather do that, you know? Because <laughs> it's really, I mean, yeah. their world, and it's, it's every business is like that. You know, it's marketing, marketing, marketing. But some, some, some breweries are just about marketing. Oh, a name, a good name you built for yourself, and it takes time. And it takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of very good product and then the name will get out there and people will recognize that as you know a sign of quality and like you not know like okay this guy makes good beer and um, you know generally it's not always perfect. sure sure i is the most flawed beer there is, so that's the
0: beauty of <laughs> come <laughs> so be back to, to that question because i'm <laughs> curious what you mean by that but as you yeah. as you grew this you kept you were still small i mean even though you you started you had 30 barrels you what you're probably uh two or three times that now um yeah about that yeah yeah Uh, and still not a humongous amount of beer it's still a very small thing and it's still sold in very small amounts through specific accounts um Uh, you don't have a tap room there's no place for people to come and just buy it directly from you you tend to uh, work with partners even now to sell it uh and it's grown in that very small but intentional way to you know uh, so and Everything. I mean, at various points of this, it has been just you. And then sometimes it was up to two additional staff people. And now it's back to just you again. Um, let's talk about last year. You know, you, so you start, well, you know, you start with this small strategy and it's an interesting one because because you are the creative mind behind the brand and mm-hmm. every beer that you release is blended by you. There's not other staff people here that, that oh. do the creative work, you know you're an integral piece of this there's there's no poker rider without raf and then last year
2: you had some health stuff that just took you out completely yep. yeah exactly last year from march april i was sick and at some point it just had to stop working and I developed a lot of small things and muscle pain and then and being sore and just and that like extreme severe arthritis where you just all well, your joints are are, are just inflammatory. From and then you just can't move anymore. So, and, and you were point, physically unable to do the brewery work. Yes, physically, I was not able to work. Uh, at some point, we did a. I mean, we we only just started bottling actually for that season, and, and it was only the second bottling. A Friend of mine was here to help me, and, and at some point, I could I could barely lift it. So I, I, I'm always uh, doing the fillings. I put the bottles under the under the filler. I could barely lift the bottle. I could barely hold it anymore. My hands hurt so much. And at some point a screwdriver fell and I was simply not able to pick it up. (laughs) My friend told me, you have to stop working, man, you're sick. I said, I'm really fucking sick. I'm going to stop working. (laughs) As much as I love the beer, because fuck me, I love beer so much. And I missed it because I didn't work for a half year and it fucking it fucking hurt also you know and in, in the next few months like sure. i was i was going from doctor to doctor and they were trying to figure out what i had and everyone had an opinion but nobody had a fucking clue actually and every time i came here it fucking hurt because i had beer sitting in tanks that were ready to to, to go into bottling you know like like yeah. beer is finished and from there it just goes to hell it either oxidizes or acidifies. You know, that's lambic. At the end of the stage it goes short sure. and wrong. And some of those piercing sadly had to be dumped, but it really hurt. But then, then again it I was physically adds, not able. Physically right. not able to worry. It know, adds so.
0: that you're dealing with physical pain and then you're dealing with the emotional pain and then yeah, the yeah, yeah, financial yeah. pain on top of that oh, yeah, of, f- of
2: then financially it was a disaster. It was absolutely Because actually I was <laughs> a, it was a, like just just, uh, just just a half year before that happened, I finally paid off. The, the last loans I had. So it's 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 literally one like back then the whole, the, the statute of the business was literally a one person business. And I had some, some private loans to get the whole thing started. Uh, but, but I'm the only owner of this place, obviously. And I paid off the last loans. And I was like, yeah, I'm finally financially independent. I can start investing more, actually, because I have some more beer to sell and everything. I was, like, so relieved. <laughs> and then disaster strikes. Oh. <laughs> and then you can get more loans than ever <laughs> to keep the thing afloat. <laughs> because, you know, I was sick. I was not producing beer. I was not selling beer because we barely bottled any beer. But I have to pay the rent. <laughs> I have to pay our taxes. I have to pay the that's day, you know it just keeps going so uh, financially it was also very hard but yeah i don't know (laughs) i just i just borrowed more money (laughs) wow (laughs) i'm planning to go
0: down you know yeah so just two releases then for the entire year of 2021 or
2: two bottlings well, one of them, both of them, are still in quarantine. Oh, <laughs> the beers goodness. are shit. The beer. so, so you can you can taste you can taste no, seriously in those beers you can easily taste. And I'm, I'm, I'm of so some of them, some some most of them will be destroyed, but I'm gonna keep some cases of that beer because it's a very good. A case i tasted with willie the german home blender last week and, and he said you can taste in the beer that is yours and at the same time it's absolutely not yours he said i can mm. taste in this beer that you're sick or something is wrong with you he said because it's not blended like you blend beers he said it's not it is your style and at the same time it's very atypical for your style it's not finished beer it's not a good beer he said this is i mean some other. It can be released that beer, but it's not the quality standard I want to offer. So those beers, <laughs> to the, both of those batches will never be released. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, you know, I can't imagine just being
0: a brewery blendery yeah. and not being able to release beer for an entire year.
2: Yeah, it's it's, it's horrible. Yeah, it's still ours now. Because also now, I mean, bars and restaurants are running out. Last year in, the, in September, October, I think, I, I took all the stock I still had and uh, everyone ordered. And I'm like, all right, guys, I'm just going to divide it evenly for all of you. And that's it and you have to wait until next year summer and and yeah that's that's what it is i mean i'm I'm, it's just right now it's just me alone and i'm trying to gonna try to keep it like that it's a small business and I also kept that intentionally kept that like we make a hundred uh, make like a hundred hectoliters a year which is like 13 14 thousand bottles maximum and that's it can that's going to be it that's it that's all I can do because I work with fresh fruits I work with these local farmers farmers far away to I get passion fruit from Sicily and you know some fun stuff too but but like the amount of work that 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 gets into it like know considering the timing of the harvest and everything and the varieties and the blends of varieties i use and everything so much physical work and so much work that gets into it. it's enough and i can i can i can live from making that small amount of beer hopefully so but i just want to keep that quality standard has always been sure. the thing like i want to make quality beer um yeah, i like that <laughs>
0: So lambic in particular is a very seasonal brew process, you know, brews over the winter when the temperature is cold enough for, you know, for traditional lambic to, to, you know, spontaneously inoculate. And so Mm -hmm. there's not a point where even if things go South, like you need, if you're going to kick up for the next season, you need to be there to get wort, you know, because you're not making your own, you have to be there to get it when it's ready and to put it into barrels. That didn't happen to you until what, like December of last year. It didn't happen last year. This year, sorry. So, when did you start pulling wort back in and getting is, back into the production I've process?
2: Always, well, because of my whole production process, I always got the wort very late in the season. I usually get it in March, April, May. Mm. That's like the end of the season. But I like that because temperatures increase, and you gotta. My opinion, much better inoculation of the beer in the cool ship and everything. The beer starts fermenting on us like immediately, and you get a much healthier fermentation. I usually get end of season lambing, and last year nothing happened. Only the t- while the troch came in, and uh, you know we put it in those big totes for shipping, and the beer never. Until three months ago, it was, you know, it's very embarrassing to say, but it's the truth. Until three months ago, that beer was still sitting in those totes. Wow! So the wart was sitting, and the wart started fermenting, and there was eight totes sitting here. And and three months ago, we went through it, and three of them were dumped immediately uh, because the totes were also sitting open. And then five of them, yeah, were put in barrels. And that's the only only wart I got last year was a little bit of the troch. Then the months never came in, and you So Paul knew I was sick, and. Uh, you know, I'm quite close to those people. I absolutely love them. They're the finest people in the beer industry for me. And 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 Paul, Paul. At some point, he said, "You know, I think it's better for you." Take it easy. Take care of your health. I'm gonna brew your beer. I'm gonna store it in my barrels in my warehouse, and you pick it up whenever you feel better. Wow! So uh, yeah, I already picked up quite a bit, and I'm picking up you know thousand or two thousand liters at a time. But it's, it was so nice of him to actually brew the beer for me and keep it in his barrels. And you know, it's just that that's when you when you you know, we're not just colleagues. You know, those people also care about me and they want to help me and they want to keep because there's also a certain you know this there's a What's the English word for it, you know, like all sequence of things in your whole production process and lamb. Like you cannot if you miss out a whole season, well, your whole production schedule is fucked up, right? Basically. Right. <laughs> so uh, and it's still kind of
1: disrupted, but it's fine, you know. I'll fix it. So now yeah. you're now you're back at work. You're working again. In, yeah. In in your blendery. Yeah. And you had probably more time than you would have wanted to think about the business and yeah. where it might go. How has the last year changed the way you look at your work? Has it changed uh, what your plans are for it, and, and maybe even just your day-to-day outlook?
2: So, yeah, so last last year, yeah, the 16th of July, before the 16th of July, I ended up in the hospital. And I had to stay there for three weeks, and the 20th, 19th of 20th of, 20th of July, I thought, literally thought I was going to die. <laughs> it does make you think about life, I'll tell you that. And a few things change in your life. <laughs> And, and so, so one of the things for sure, I had to, I mean, still not very well known what I have and, and I am still figuring out stuff. But I have a very good clue of why that whole thing came together, because the, the, the years before that, I was nonstop working, uh, always smoking cigarettes. I mean, that one interview you once did <laughs> on the picture. I'm there with a cigarette, of course. Uh, very unhealthy living working a lot at night and working like extreme hours and all of those things you know it, it, at some point it was wasn't necessary no but you have that you know i uh, I just always wanted to make beer and all you know I, I just wanted to push it forward and develop those things and then, and it's all good you know because it, it made at the end of the day it made really good beer I think but at the end of the day I was I was I was killing myself I was, I was destroying my whole body by, by by living in such a way so that definitely had to change I had to Definitely, like like very drastically changed my lifestyle. Each uh, much healthier. I uh, have better sleep uh, and everything. But uh, so uh, so and and one way I'm actually spending less time here at the warehouse now making beer, but I think the the quality of my work is way better. Because also one of the things also that changed last year is that. Uh, I finally got, after so many years, a labeling machine. Before that, we stuck all the labels <laughs> by hand, which makes you go mental. Uh, I bought an automatic corker, automatic capper. Before, it was all manual work. Well, that's a uh, semi-automatic corker. Um, you always, there was always a stress of like finding enough people to come over to help. And, uh, and you know, I gave so much stress and everything. So I started buying some machines for for the, the, the parts of the process where my hands don't make, the difference. You know, like if 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 my hands put the cork in the bottle or a machine or a monkey does that, it mustn't make a difference. The beard is just the same. So far, a lot of the the steps in the process where my hands make no difference I'm buying machines and stuff to help me, you know because uh, also I've like completely fucked up my back in the last several years that was actually mostly in grandma's house and then four years ago I got a forklift before that I was going to to like a phase also where the doctor told me if you're going to keep working like this make sure you can get your retirement in two years because your whole back will be ruined oh. <laughs> Those, when people say that this makes you think <laughs> and I had the same discussion last summer with the doctors they're like yeah, the way you lift it's not very healthy <laughs> you don't need to go to school for 10 years to understand that cigarettes are not very healthy so you know i'm not gonna say i'm never gonna smoke a cigarette anymore but it makes you think and i think in the way i work in a different way and i think uh, i work less but way better quality and i can focus more on, on putting out a more than ever high quality product and also it gave me the time actually because I, I rarely had time in the last few years to stand still and look at what we have and look what's going on and evaluate things and Last year I was sick for months in a row, so plenty of time to evaluate the last five years, and 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 it's also interesting that it, 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 I started writing down a lot of things uh, and combining things, and again the same thing as so many years before, connecting the dots again. Like, see, where am I at? What 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 still has to happen? What have we learned from that? And and, and, and again, making that puzzle and make it look. <laughs> you know, try to see if it still fits in a way or not. <laughs> if it doesn't fit, you better make it fit. Uh, but it was an interesting process of, of standing still, looking at things, evaluating things, and, and trying to find a way to, you know, keep going, but in a healthier, better way.
0: Yeah. Sure, sure. So. Well, let's talk a little bit about, uh, let's, let's pivot and talk about some technique, because I think, you know, as... Devastating as that is, the demand for what you do remains strong. You took, in fact, having that year of not releasing beer. I
2: I forgot one thing. Cause I mean, maybe like ask your question. Talking about technique, like last so so last August, uh, July, I went to hospital. Early August, I could leave the hospital. I was complete wreck. I lost more than forty pounds. I was like, holy shit. (laughs) Um, And it took me a while to literally get back on my feet. And I was actually not planning to make any beer last year uh, because I missed the summer fruit harvest for sure and then in, in September, October you still have some grapes, you have some vineyard peaches and that's then, then it's finished so I, I missed almost everything already and then in September I actually went to some uh, some winemakers I know just to hang out, you know, they were like oh, what the fuck's happening to you because they didn't hear from me and I didn't place an order and stuff so I just went by and said hi and that's it and actually it's like this year, because of the, the the rainfall we had last summer in Belgium was was crazy. We had the biggest floods ever, I think. Here, it's, it was a very difficult season for uh, wine grape well, grape growers or winemakers, whatever you know, grape farmers. Um, and I was talking to to uh, uh, Matthias. He's in uh, he's in Mosel. Uh, he makes Riesling, and he says it's an interesting season because it's very very difficult. He says, but. This season will show who has technical capacity to make wine. Because those people can make wine. It's, absolute. it's going to be down the road in a few years in the bottle and barrels and everything. So it's not going to be an easy season for sure. But it can make wine. that's absolutely spectacular. But you need technical luggage. You need to be there. And you need to know how to make wine right now. And I'm like, well, I don't know shit about wine making. But I'm going to fucking try it with beer. <laughs> for me, it sparked a... Like a Physically I was I needed a lot of help and I could come and so many friends and, and customers and people just came over here to help all the physical workers. Physically I was I was still not able to. But I, I tried to, again to connect those dots with all of the stuff i learned and all the technical aspects of winemaking beer making and all the all the processes and i tried to put a puzzle together all right difficult season i talked to the winemakers like how does your process change now compared to last year in terms of when do you harvest out how, how, you know the whole when do you press so how long do you macerate how how long do you clarify all of the all of the technical aspects and man i was like fuck, now I'm going to try something, (laughs) because I'm actually not yet ready to do it, but I learned a lot of things down the road, and this is a very interesting year to put all that knowledge together and try to make something good out of it. So, yeah, sorry.
0: (laughs) No, let's talk about some of those things. Let's talk about some of those ways that that you use fruit, and some, especially some of the things that have developed, and maybe even some of the ways that you've reconsidered methods and, and helped improve those. Before we do that, from the rotatable pickup tube on Rogue Brewing's Pilot Brewhouse to the integrated hop backs on Sierra Nevada's twin prototyping brew houses, SS BrewTech has taken technology they invented working with world-renowned industry veterans and made them available to every craft brewer. To learn more about SS BrewTech's innovation list, head over to ssbrewtech.com. Also, are you looking for the tools to make your next improvements in process and quality control? The InPro 8630i from Mettler Toledo is the ideal sensor for combined color and turbidity measurements in loudering, filtration, and phase shift operations. Robust, compact, and easy to handle, it supports consistency in beer processing. The InTap portable oxygen meter gives you readings wherever you need them. Flexible in production for verification while purging or for troubleshooting, it's your perfect helping hand. Contact Mettler Toledo today to find out more. Let's talk about um, you know some of those ways that over the last uh, you know year you may have well first let's talk about just you know the way that you think about fruit the way that you select fruit the way that you choose fruit to use and how you think about the flavor of fruits and evaluate the flavor of those fruits because there's a lot you've put a lot into the beer before you ever put it onto fruit and you can't lose. It needs to work, and you need, you know, your ability to to take that kind of crazy risk. You want to mitigate that as much as you can in order to, you know, so you have to have a good idea about how these flavors are going to work and what's going, what's how that's going to go. Talk to me then again how you you know make that kind of selection and, and find fruit to use and make decisions about which ones. Oh, I cannot
2: answer that in one sentence. That's for sure. Perfect. <laughs> well, uh, t- it's a lot about, about tasting, of course, by going around talking to people, tasting. Also, doing doing research into old varieties of fruits because those are mostly ninety percent of the time. The old varieties are the most interesting because these days, as, well, I mean, these days, it's it's about the sixties when you see that the whole you know everything started to be properly industrialized. The fruit industry, actually, the fruit and vegetable fresh produce industry, started becoming extremely industrialized, homogenized, standardized, all those things. And 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 you know regarding fruit. So I love making fruit beers. Uh, well, a lot of that whole thing started is because I previously told that as a, as a child we had fruit in the garden and we made jams sure. and stuff. And then and, and, uh, also my, my grandmother actually she put sour cherries on, on, on gin produced gin which is like very old geneva we call it in belgium it's like a geneva is actually the the, the mother of gin of what we call gin these days it's less spiced or differently spiced with juniper bears anyway my grandma used to make those things so that's where my fascination for fresh fruit comes from because every every summer when we had those fruits in the garden it was just celebration i love picking fruits of course sure <laughs> and now for 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 making beer uh oh yes yeah, so i was talking about like in the 60s when everything started like becoming industrialized People always did that. Of course, they started uh, grafting fruits like like uh, what do you call it? What's the English word fruit? For uh, <laughs> i have got to look up that word. <laughs> uh,
0: but I can see what go. you're saying. It became more about what the fruit looked like than what the fruit tasted like. Yeah, exactly. So, so yeah,
2: there's so for commercial production of fruit, there's a, there's several there's a, like a checklist, and, and there's a, a way fruit looks, the uh, transportability, uh, the sweetness because people love right, sugar right <laughs> you know that's the whole we call it the, yeah, the coca-cola revolution basically which started my, my grandma she can tell you about that like before world war ii they ate uh, fermented foods and sour foods and sour beverages, and everything and then suddenly everything was sweet that was a new thing she said we fucking loved it <laughs> she, she literally <laughs> remembers tanks driving into her village and those dudes handed out coca-cola well you'll fucking love anything they give to you because finally you know you, the whole war was over and everything right. so people had to celebrate that's where that whole suddenly boom there was that sweet beverage and and it's, it's nothing wrong with coca-cola well <laughs> but you know that's where the whole sweetening basically started and people wanted the sweet stuff and that also translated to the fruit industry of course where, where varieties were selected for sweetness transportability uh what do you call it shelf life and and, and 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 at the bottom of the list or not even on the list anymore your taste and that's that's not a that's not a factor and in, 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 uh, why people have certain varieties of fruit and that's sad because taste is everything <laughs> and also acidity is something people don't want they just want high sweetness high sugar levels if you go to like like a like a fruit market like where they import exotic fruits and stuff like that if you literally if you ask about the quality of a certain imported fruit like an exotic fruit they give you as a sign of quality to tell you how many degrees bricks the fruit has which means how much sugar is in the fruit right. i'm like no does it taste good yeah yeah it has like 20 bricks i'm like no no, no does it taste good <laughs> so literally they think sugar is taste and and then general is true you know you can still please and it's slowly changing uh that the, the people are, are back in you know, interested again and then like fermented and, and slightly sour foods and everything because also it's more healthy uh but yeah th- th- this is a lot of those like commercially available fruits you can't do shit with them because you've put them on beer sugar will all disappear it will all get fermented into alcohol and if there is no acidity in the fruit and no flavor well you have nothing left you just make ethanol you can just as well put potatoes on beer down because they have no taste really and there's also you know, sugar in them in a way <laughs> So, so the, you've been
0: trying to hunt down growers that are growing heirloom varieties of these fruits, and you know, because yeah, they yeah. just taste better, and they can contribute in a more yeah. meaningful way. Into yeah, exactly. Heirloom—that's
2: the word in English. It's a beautiful word. Uh, yeah, indeed. That's, that's that's what I try to do. Yeah, yeah. Because those old varieties have more taste. There, the sugar disappears. I just told you the sugar is is kind of irrelevant. It's also relevant because because it's just like way too much sugar in the fruit. You make so much alcohol that it's very hard to balance a beer. Uh, so actually, high, high, high sugar content is, is usually against what I do. You know, It's not beneficial for my production. Uh, but if you yeah, have, for example, like here in, in, in Hospital you have like the, uh, apple production, basically every apple you eat in Belgium. Well, you know, 80%, let's say, is produced here. And there's a variety called Iona Gold, uh, it's an apple that tastes like absolutely nothing. It's like a candy. Yeah, it's sweet. It's sugar bomb. And if you ferment it into a cider or anything, it tastes like literally like nothing. Like you cannot recognize that it once was an apple. (laughs) Regarding taste, in a blind tasting, you don't say it's apple, because that apple has zero flavor, (laughs) just sugar. So how can you make a beer with that? Well, you can try really hard, but you can't. Right. (laughs) And those heirloom varieties, you know, it's also those. uh, You meet the most interesting people really, and some people that are retired since. Uh, there is uh, Broske. He, uh, he, Broske is he's 80, 80 something, like 82, I think he is. He actually still he worked in fruit his whole life, and he was there before everything became industrialized. And he saw the whole change of the industry, and he also saw the good right He's just disappearing. And that guy actually uh, more than 30, 40 years ago, he he, he lives in in the, in in the part of the fruit region too, and he has this big backyard. Like, that's his private property, basically, his house, is his garden. And in his garden, he started already decades ago collecting the varieties that were disappearing. Huh. So he basically built a library of trees in his garden. And the guy has the old varieties, and I buy his whole garden every year. <laughs> and we're also we're actually expanding. Like, his son, of course, he's, he's, he's getting a bit old. He still loves it. So I met him three years ago. I don't know. I came. From, I went to pick up something somewhere, and I was driving. It's, it's like in the middle of country. You know, it's like in, in those those fields and stuff. There's there's no reason why you would go there. So I just saw by coincidence I saw this sign on the street oh, for sale peaches. Peaches and raspberries. Oh no! I'm gonna pull over. Whenever I see a sign like that, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sold. <laughs> and I talk to this guy, and I told him what I'm doing. He's like, "I think you're crazy." I think, yeah, I fully agree. But I want your fruit. <laughs> and and then I uh, yeah, we talked a bit, and I started buying some fruits, and I ate some test batches. And next year, I'm back. I said, "Dude, what do you normally do with the fruit?" So, Broska, 82 years old. So during the season, he had a lot of peaches and he's one of the very few people who still has a decent amount of peaches in his garden. So a guy has to wake up, he has to, has to pick them the day before. Next morning he has to wake up at 3.30 to go to the fresh market. And it's basically like an auction house where it's day price basically. So it's just a, a demand and offer. And uh, so a guy has to wake up at 3.30 in the morning to be up at 5 in the morning to sell his peaches for a price that's competitive with uh, peaches, with all the respect, uh, from like industrial produced peaches from Spain, which tastes like absolute crap. There's no quality to those peaches. But he had to sell them for a competitive price with those peaches. It's good for that guy that was a hobby because it didn't even cover his costs. It was ridiculous. And he felt sad because he also went to some local fresh market just literally on the street, and he could get them sold there to people of his generation because those right, people know right. that's the quality fruit and that guy sells fruit with flavor <laughs> we have to eat it fast though because the shelf will have a few days right, right. and the guy was like he's like i just do it for a hobby and i like doing it but it's it's actually it's madness and i said dude here, here's a prepayment and, uh, and i said i'm gonna pay you a fair price because this is absolutely absurd uh and I was so happy and I was happy too I'm happy to find that guy and then he right. came here to visit and then he saw like when you're here in 2018 when there was you still had that long stack of barrels he was like oh my god and then he called his wife you cannot believe what I'm looking at <laughs> he was so excited he said yeah and I could see the fruit and it's it's bubbling in the beer and it's kind of weird but i like it <laughs> <laughs> you know it's the most interesting people you meet in that way sure. His son now sure. is planting some more of like some heirloom varieties of peaches uh at some other field the vineyard peaches of the the piazza the so vineyard peaches is a very old variety of, of red peaches red flesh peaches so kind of sour sweet sour from Mosel area I have one hundred and seventy trees, which is not that much, but they're here locally now with a local farmer in Belgium. And here and there, I have small projects to 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 find those heirloom varieties and to reintroduce them. Just just last year, a uh, year and a half ago, I went to France to like um, a nursery, you know, like a plant nursery, tree mm-hmm. nursery, yeah, uh, to pick up like heirloom variety of Belgian apricots from the eighteen hundreds, mid eighteen hundreds. It was it's impossible to find them in Belgium. And at the nursery in France, in the north of France, I could yeah. get them. And those those apricots are, you know, they're made for this climate because they come from this climate. You right. Know, we have like all the, the humidity issues and stuff like that. So it's it's really exciting to reintroduce those those varieties. It's, it's crazy because also you see that some of them, not all of them, there's no, a lot of them you can grow organically because they're actually resistant against a lot of things. Mm. A lot of the a lot of the modern varieties they take so much fucking care. And you need to be out there with chemicals almost every day right. to protect your plants. Well, come on, what are we doing? Like we're poisoning our fields. We're poisoning ourselves. We also have to re... I mean, that's, but that's, that's on a bigger scale, of course. It's, it's way beyond me. But we have to rethink how we produce our food. We are poisoning ourselves completely. We're, we're eating ourselves to death, <laughs> Literally. <laughs> I mean I've been reading and studying a lot about these things because I was sick last year sure, and it's sure. an autoimmune autoimmune uh, auto-inflammatory disease I supposedly have not even sure but I mean if you look how much that is related to the food we eat and if you then look at how we produce the food we put in our mouths. <laughs> We can talk for a whole
0: day, about sure, that. sure. sure. we're talking beer here. <laughs> but you in your but you're going at it a different way, buying locally, not getting, you know, fruit that's <laughs> covered in preservatives, getting, you know, fruit with lower sugar content, fruit with more flavor, and then yeah. processing it quickly. Um, you know, I remember when I came here in twenty eighteen, you're like, I got cherries this morning and they've gotta go in beer today. Oh yeah, no doubt. And <laughs> that was uh it's like, well I don't have time to talk until all of the fruit is on the beer. And oh, yeah. uh, you know, when I showed up you had volunteers and it Mm -hmm. was packing cherries into barrels with beer and that was going to be the thing when you get the call from the the grower that these are ready there's not a there's no waiting there's no you know it is
2: (laughs) now now it's go time yeah no if you wait you lose also because that's the thing too with those heirloom varieties like the, the vineyard peaches for example they're the best example you can literally keep them for one day that's it shelf life one day wow after that they start. To start like browning and collapsing and the fruit is done. Like if you open it it's not red anymore, it's brown. So shelf life is extremely short. So that's typical. Well it's you know, it's it's not a good thing, but it's what it is. Yeah. So you have to start fermenting it. And you know, you can you can also ferment the fruit by itself if you add some salt to it. Literally you can preserve the fruit because mm. the fruit starts fermenting inside the skin. Right. But it will not get rotten, but you have to use those fruits and then yeah, that's in the past it was all these days, like a lot of you know, if you buy Apples, for example. Sometimes you can keep an apple on the shelf for a half year and it doesn't fucking change. Do you want to put that in your body? <laughs> it's your choice. Everyone has the right to poison themselves. <laughs> so so uh, you get, say, something like a, a red vineyard
0: peach. Um, what does your process look like to prepare that and put it into beer?
2: The vineyard peaches. Yeah. Uh, we picked them and we put them in beer. <laughs> <laughs> do you do do you cut them do, you, puree yeah, we, them? We do cut you them slice them up
0: do you what do you how do you do you use uh, pits? We,
2: we, uh, we, we squeeze them much only because we use the whole fruit um and then and, and, uh, two years ago i actually bought a, a machine that really very much helps us but we, we used to do it all by hand which is just crazy it makes your hands i mean you get arthritis if you do that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, now we we basically uh, uh, squeeze the fruit and then throw it in whole, like with the stone and everything. Because mm-hmm. I think that I well, I feel like at stone fruits. Stone fruits have for me they have three main flavors. One is the skin, of course. There's a lot of oils in the skin, a lot of perfume and everything. Then you have the flesh, in the case of the. The vineyard peach, it gives just the typical peachy flavor. But in the, in the skin, you like to have that aromatic quality, that perfumey quality. A little bit of like like a, a plum strawberry perfume comes from the skin. And in the flesh, you have typical peach aroma and peach taste. And from the pit, you get a little spiciness, that almond character too. And in most pits of uh, of uh, stone fruits, there's, there's a component called benzaldehyde, which... which, which exactly is almond aroma. That's also what you taste. If you taste an almond, if you taste a bitter almond from California, it, that tastes like almonds because that has the highest load of benzaldehyde. Okay. <laughs> and in peach, pits, African fish, it's less to a lesser extent. But the thing is like, you have those three flavors in a, in a, in a fruit. Because you see a lot of brewers, they open the fruit, they throw away the stones. Mm-hmm. Uh, because to an extent, the stones are toxic. That is true. It's sure. not just benzaldehyde, there's also precursors to uh, cyanide right. <laughs> right. that's not very healthy but you know it's it's off. at some point I, that was in 2015 actually I made a test and, and we were actually separating the stones from the vineyard peaches and I filled a whole bucket like a 30 liter bucket but seven and a half, eight gallons I mean more or less 8 gallons I filled an entire bucket only pits only stones from peaches and then at the end of the day I filled it with beer just I covered all pits in beer and that was it <laughs> let it sit for 3 months and what came out of that was sour amaretto, literally. It was pure almond taste. Huh. Lambic with almond taste, like very intense almond taste. And then of course, there was the there was the question like, is, is this gonna kill us if we drink it? Yeah, did you before? get it for if cyanide? You, if you have to if you have to believe people, that thing will instantly kill you. Especially when you talk to American brewers <laughs> because, you know Americans are afraid of everything. So, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Hey, <laughs> cut okay. this out if you. Want. I've got thick skin. I can take it. <laughs> <laughs> no, but and then then I had to, the luck too at that moment uh, a friend of mine she, she's working uh, she was working in a pharmaceutical lab right next to the toxicology lab at the university of leuven and uh so yeah sometimes i could give her samples for analysis of this and that and i actually had a sample of that uh put in uh, to see to check for uh cyanide right and uh, yes it definitely did contain cyanide but man you would be dead from the ethanol way before the cyanide would get you <laughs> So the, so was, was the so concentration low. was absurdly low yeah yeah uh, it's just then the benzaldehyde was either benzaldehyde is that the aroma that gives that yeah. that almond flavor so i was like all right this is fine because also at some point it was three years ago uh, a beer so that's that's the noyau basically the noyau means the, the pit uh, flavor right. so i made the beer called uh, from noyau or piazzon noyau where i take uh, from and i put that uh, apricot stones then because apricot stones have are more they contain more benzaldehyde than peach stones so i use apricot stones uh, infusion and lambic and then i add it to the raspberry beer to make it so so much softer and smoother when i first uh, exported those beers to the us actually the, the fda needed a few samples because of the ingredients listed right uh, because it might you know there might be a health hazard fair enough i i, sure, I, I love sure. those things you know those, those those agencies are there for a good reason uh so they got they got tested and they were completely fine so yeah there's, there's sometimes you do things and you really have to go. Same thing with peach leaves, for example, the leaves of a peach tree is absolutely amazing. If you take the young leaves of a peach tree and you, uh, what do you call this movement, you rub it mm-hmm. on the, on your, between your fingers and then you smell your fingers, pure almonds, pure almond. There's also benzaldehyde in those leaves, so you can also use those leaves in beer you should not crush them if you crush them you release all the cyanide uh-huh. <laughs> and that's why if you for example have peach trees uh, and and in the same field you put horses if horses start eating it so they crush the leaves Horses can instantly die from it. Wow! And a horse is a big animal, right? And right. it just takes a few peach leaves to kill a horse. Huh? So you have to be careful if you, especially if you go into to those territories where you are like, let's not just include the pits of the beer and the beer, uh, the the pits of the fruit in the beer, but let's only use the pits. <laughs> right. <laughs> you have to be careful in things sometimes, and try to not kill yourself in the process. Sure. Sure. <laughs> so uh,
0: after something like peach, you know, yeah, as you're macerating. You know, beer, uh, you know, mastering these peaches and beer. Yeah. Um, do you employ any processes to improve the the quality of the extraction, or uh, you know, of the the use, you know, the way that that fruit expresses in the beer? Or is, uh, these are just going into casks at normal cellar
2: temperature for a specific amount of time? No, it's uh, there's. There's no one answer I can give to the question sure. because there's okay. there's a million parameters. Because also the question is, of course, you have a, a fruit harvest coming in. Literally, all I measure, and I don't even sometimes know why. All I can measure is the the sugar level of yeah. the fruit. Um, yeah and then well but the most important the truth is is, is, is the truth is is in your mouth like in your on your tongue like you taste the fruit so you start squeezing those peaches into a tank so it gets a bit mm-hmm. homogenized you know because you have some riper ones, ones yeah of everything that's all that also that also matters sometimes i intentionally get a tiny little bit of early harvest if I want the slightly higher acidity because the more unripe, the more ripe a fruit is, the higher sugar concentration, the lower the acid concentration gets. So you can also already play with that with like your frame of when you harvest. Yeah. Because if you, if you have only late harvest, if you make a wine, for example, with that, it's going to be extremely boring because it's extremely high in sugar. So you've got a lot of alcohol production but very low acidity. And you need acidity because it's a carrier of flavor in wine. Also in lambic, of course, because lambic is... Not sour beer with is a wheat beer of spontaneous fermentation which includes a decent acidity. <laughs> but there's like so many factors, but when the fruit comes in, you taste the fruit and you also think about what, because sometimes I make a few different tanks with the vineyard peaches and you can make, I can make three tanks that are completely different. Because you think about like what what am I gonna blend it with later? Which what's the always think about when do I want to drink that beer? Is it winter? Is it summer? Is it is it evening? Is it noon? Where are we sitting? What are we doing? Or which in which circumstances do I want to drink that beer? Because that defines like the whole the mouthfeel you go for the, the character, the acidity, uh, the type of acidity you get in your beer too. So there's like a million things. <laughs> It's That's really fascinating, fascinating though. You
0: even think now as you are, are working with that fruit and the beer what the end consumption experience and event might look like and that That's informs... That's what I'm trying to work towards but
2: yeah. it's not easy with Lamech like, because it's very unpredictable. Sure. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's a spontaneous beer which does definitely not mean that the beer makes itself because it doesn't. Very often you have to you know, and then and, and they have wine, and they call it conventional wine, then they call it natural wine, and then they call it low-intervention wine. And lambic is a low-intervention beer. If you make wine, if you make natural wine as a non-intervention wine, 95% of your harvest will be absolute crap and you won't drink the wine. Okay? You always have to, which doesn't mean you have to cheat or add this or and No, it's, you have to work with what you have. You, you 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 know if you have that fruit coming in the vineyard, peaches. I just told you their shelf life is one day, so I better make sure that the fermentation starts within one day. Otherwise, the fruit is sitting and rotting in the tank, just getting brown on the spot. So I have to make sure that I have an already fermenting beer, ready, just to kickstart that little bit of fermentation. Yeah. So I just take a little bit of some other fruit, whatever we have fruit, uh, that I can get a week before. And I just put that into a little like 10 liter, like two, three gallon, uh, small tank of beer that already starts, that the fire is there, you know, and then you dump that fire right into your <laughs> vineyard peaches and those things are fermenting within a few hours. And if you have to just pump a beer on it of one year old and then wait for that fermentation to happen, then you're running behind, then you're too late and you're going to lose. So it's, it's about the right timing and working in the right way because I've from us, we never, I never ever used yeast in any single beer, but I have to sometimes work with little tricks here and there, you know, take a different beer or a different batch That you're a blender at the end of the day, sure, you know, sure. that's the beauty of blending is that you, you have to use everything at the right moment and in the right quantity.
0: Well, at that point, you're a, you're a brewer and you're fermenting and you're simply using, you know, uh, beer that uh, has got a stronger culture that'll ferment faster in order to exactly, you know exactly. to do its thing, right? That's exactly. not a an uncommon uh, you know practice no, no, to no, use no, in the world of brewing. So. No, but yeah. it's
2: very much frowned upon sometimes in the Lambic world because Lamic is that spontaneous non intervention beer and I'm, I'm telling you, it's not gonna end well if you <laughs> if you're if you're sitting back and relaxing and doing jack shit you're not gonna make it beer.
0: You have to be there. What in, I'm curious <laughs> about this what's the difference in flavor between say, you know, if you just let it slowly do whatever and, you know, kick off fermentation whenever versus, you know, uh, making sure that there's a, some vigorous refermentation
2: happening quickly. If fermentation takes too long to kick in, you had oxidation of your fruit. Yeah. Which means that you, you lose the freshness. Definitely lose the freshness. Beer becomes old. Beer becomes boring. Beer becomes like, becomes heavy to drink. And you can compensate by adding a more acidic lambic to give it back a higher acidity to pretend it's fresh again it's not the same thing i'll tell you yeah (laughs) certain aspects in your fruit if they they oxidize uh, it's it's, yeah i I, I mean i can i should actually because i was also thinking about that i should always make i should start making bad beer too like really bad beer (laughs) (laughs) like no but i'm I'm not kidding like for 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 tastings yeah for educational tastings that i use a crop of fruit you know that I, that I make, that I make beer in the way I make it and that I make 5 gallons on the side with the same beer and the same fruit but in a different way just to show that how much you can fuck it up. Because some people also think that being a blender is very easy. Being a blender is basically pouring things together. If it was that easy, everyone would do it. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and I wouldn't be working that much.
0: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so well, so it's, that's it's, always uh, been the experience when I've tasted your beer that there is that vibrancy and that yeah. kind of energy. And that's what I'm curious to get at. That. That's an interesting one focusing on that kind of component uh-huh. to make sure that. You know, you've got active fermentation that's scattering oxygen, right, as you put that in there. And, you know, you throw that kind of sugar into anything that's got live yeast in it, and it's probably going to start, should start fermenting. But even when it, if it doesn't move as fast, that's interesting that you might just give it a little boost that it needs to to keep moving.
2: Of course, you need to be ready. I mean... When you go to a war, you better make sure your gun is loaded. If it's <laughs> not
0: loaded, you're fucked. Sure, <laughs> so sure. Same,
2: same if you want to make fruit beer. You have to be right there. If you want to, so you're harvesting. Because the thing is also, I, 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 so I don't use frozen fruit. And frozen fruit is a whole. I can talk for five more hours about frozen fruit. Frozen fruit is, is mostly mechanically harvested and very big, huge industrial farms. Completely full of pesticides. Fucking amazing. Uh, it's cheap. That's the best thing about it. But frozen fruits are usually uh, everything that's mechanically harvested uh, has usually not reached full ripeness. Because if a fruit is fully ripe, it tends to get soft and it's fragile. And a peach, for example, if you get a very overripe peach and well no peaches are not mechanically harvested, they're too big. Anyway, if, let's take raspberries for example. You have overripe raspberries and you start mechanically harvesting now, <laughs> you just shake it into pieces. It becomes like blubber instantly and that blubber oxidizes immediately. So so for frozen fruit they're usually a bit underripe, so they're still very stiff and their you know their transportability is high and they you know, you can you can move that fruit several times and throw it over from bucket to bucket and conveyor belts and shit. But that fruit has never reached ripeness fruit has higher acidity too, but it never reached the full potential, never developed. The frozen fruit, you do not have that that vibrancy you're talking about, that freshness that I get in my fruit. So yeah, the thing is, the point I was getting to is that I get only fresh fruit. Sometimes like last year when I was sick, we had to put it in a freezer. Simple as that. But it's not frozen fruit. It's it's my fruit that goes into a freezer. Sure, it doesn't sure. come from God knows where. Nobody even knows. But that fruit is, is harvested. So I always talk to the farmers too. Like when do we harvest this fruit? Because I want most of the harvest will be a very late harvest, because you get that full development of the aromas, the flavors, and it's like another interesting example is actually. Uh, so raspberries, once you pick a raspberry, the flavor is set, that's it. A raspberry doesn't change, it starts decaying, you know, it starts getting rotten at some point. Uh, it's very different with stone fruits. Let's take an example, peaches are apricots. Peaches. Peaches are a climacteric fruit, which means that if you pick a peach from the tree, it will continue ripening because the stone inside the peach uh, produces... Uh, What's the gas again? It's just a banana gas, they call it. They ripen bananas with that gas. So, the pit of the fruit, it's, it's a stress hormone of the fruit that starts producing uh, ethylene gas. Mm. And the ethylene gas will ripen the fruit, actually. Even when it's picked already, it will keep ripening. And that's how, for example, we can basically only get Spanish and Italian peaches in Belgium because it's much cheaper to produce them there. They pick them a week too early, a week before they're ripe. They, they pick them. They get. They're very hard and everything. <laughs> you can kill someone throwing sure. it throwing your head. <laughs> but in the truck, it's very. Are they trans- ship really well because there's... Right, right. Extreme. The shelf life is amazing. It's perfect fruit. And by the time it gets here and is sitting here on the shelf, it ripens, and it is a ripe peach but I will tell you, it never tastes like you let the same peach hang on the tree for a whole more week mm. because it, the, the, the fruit keeps getting the nutrients from the trees and and and, and the fruit will definitely produce a, a, a better aroma and taste. If you if you would be in Spain and you buy a Belgian peach, shit. <laughs> if you're in Spain, you have to buy Spanish peaches because there they harvest them at peak ripeness because right. they sell them immediately and people eat them immediately. So Spanish, there's nothing wrong with a Spanish peach as long as you consume it in Spain. Right. <laughs> That's why I like having Belgian peaches because we can exactly Time the, the 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 harvest date, and, and I just go into the field and I taste. And like, ah, one more day, and then you're playing like on the edge because sometimes the fruit is like, oh man, it becomes so peaches. They become so sensitive, especially those vineyard peaches, man. If you let them hang for a day, they start rotting on the tree. If you wow, let them wow! But you want to to capture that one moment when the, when the fruit is at peak ripeness. And the acidity is usually very low and high, su- high sugars, but all varieties don't develop the high sugars as the as the modern varieties do. The low acidity is not a problem because I work with lambic. Sure, you can bring your own acidity to exactly. it. And and exactly, that's why. How much. That's why, for example, the troch, which is uh, the troch lambic, is one of those lambics that's you know an average uh, lambic geek. Uh, he doesn't get excited about anything. The troch. I swear it's one of the most beautiful alambics. So what they're put in bottles, that's one thing. I'm mostly not, usually not a fan of that too. They make that whole sweetened line, which has their place sure, in the market. Sure. I respect it. It's just right. that I don't drink the beer. Um, but the alambic they make is absolutely amazing. It's very light, crisp, and it has a high acidity. And it develops that citric character and citric acidity which is something that in very overripe fruits that citric acidity gets broken off in the fruit like it's almost non-existent anymore and that's the beautiful thing but you need that acidity to carry all the flavors so the, the, the fruit produces more flavor and aroma but if you don't have the right acidity it's it's a carrier of those flavors and that's where the troch for example comes in where you can blend that lamb again bring that acidity back into the fruits you have high aroma high taste and a substantial acidity to drive flavors and aromas of the beer and that's now you make a fucking beer, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's all about balance of course a beer sure. should not get too acidic either sure. sometimes that's sometimes hard to balance with lamb because lambic is a live beer you know it evolves and there's those lactobacillus beatacacus and god knows what other animals that we can't see anyway uh, in there so it's, it's sometimes hard to balance it but that's that's, that's the beauty that's the challenge every time to make a beer that is acidic but not not like, uh, you know, aggressive, like, I want to drink a beer, but not book a dentist appointment for tomorrow.
1: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) There's another component of, of, of the character of the beers you're making here that I want to ask about. And when we got here to the blendery, you were cooking something on a, in a brew pot that looked like thick brown soup. And (laughs) and we asked about it. And I think we were very surprised by your answer, not just about what you are doing, but why you are doing it. And, And if you could explain that, um, and then maybe, you know, talk about the importance of texture would be really interesting.
2: Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So the thing I'm cooking up there is uh, it's an experiment, but it's like a, I did it on a small scale, a smaller scale because this is a really small scale still. It's like four gallons in that bucket, but it's basically when uh, recently we had to empty a whole bunch of barrels, and in every barrel there's about one gallon of sediment of you know, yeast, dead yeast sediment, and just like crap sitting in there. So uh, we collected all the sediment from all the barrels. First, I emptied the barrels with the pump. But my pump only picks up the beer from like an inch and a half, two inches. So we leave the sediment behind in the barrel. And then before cleaning the barrels, we actually dumped them upside down into a tank and all that thick sediment from every barrel, we collected it. So there's mostly dead yeast in it. And uh, right now what I'm cooking up in that pot is that you take that dead yeast and you heat it up to 50 degrees. Uh, 50 degrees Celsius. Celsius, 120 to Fahrenheit, any <laughs> So I took all the sediment from those barrels of lambic, which is mostly dead yeast, and I, I don't know what else in there. Uh, the thickest part of that sediment, actually, I use as a body lotion, literally, because it's full of vitamin B. And there are certain components, like, especially in winter, you know, when we're outside and cleaning barrels and, and, and when we're bottling and you're washing a lot, a lot of water, 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 uh, your hands, you know, they're not particularly soft. And, and that thickest part of the yeast sediment, I don't know what's in there, but you put it in, and it's an old thing that winemakers used to do as well. You put it on your skin, it literally disappears into your skin. It nurtures your skin like crazy. It's better than anything you buy in a supermarket because it's full of synthetic shit. Works in a similar way, but back in the days, people had yeast sediment that was basically body lotion because it nurtures the skin. So the thickest part I just use as body lotion in the winter and the other part right now I'm boiling it, well not boiling, I'm heating it to 50 Celsius, it's around about 122 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, (laughs) At that point you get an enzymatic reaction and, and basically the yeast cell will disintegrate. So the, the cell wall of the yeast will uh, pop open, and it releases everything that's in there. Um, basically, in the, exactly the same way, uh, bouillon cubes are made, so like stock cubes for making soup and dishes, because they have that they have yeast extract and, you know, and what's inside that yeast cell have to look at that scientific paper again i'm not too scientific there's a lot of stuff in there but there's lots of glutamate in it which might make you think about msg and msg is that thing that gives umami flavors to food and that, 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 those similar things are in yeast cells too and then when you extract yeast also when you pop it open basically uh, you get access to that flavor and that content of that yeast cell and it just gives that meaty brothy creamy flavor so i'm first turning the autolysis of the of the east cell uh, and then forced you, autolysis yeah yeah basically yeah and then you heat it at the end and then at some point um, later tonight i'm going to heat it to, at some point to 90 degrees celsius so the enzymatic reaction stops and then it goes back into a barrel <laughs> and then it needs a lot of time I'll tell you that, that thing is not ready in a few days or a few months, it needs a lot of time but then I can I can shake that, that broth I basically make which is 100% beer, it's 100% whatever came out of my barrels, nothing is added I just change it, you know, there's a certain process I used, which I borrowed from someone, I didn't invent it uh, but I think it's very interesting to work with and that's how I make a beer. Like in 2000, uh, I'm gonna get a bottle of that later. Uh, the Winter Goose 2017 was made in that process. That's the first time, but uh, but but like a like not to, not in how I'm heating it now because that's gonna make it so much better. But the uh, Winter Goose also has it's just like creamy, rich, smooth. Like it's, it's a goose. Like I don't know if it's better than any other goose, but it's so different and it's so. Winter goes early That thing breathes winter. Low it's it so rich. Like it's it has the richness that you can almost eat it with a spoon. Like it feels so thick. It's really good. So you yes, yeah.
1: you literally adding your sort of home harvested yeast bouillon to <laughs> add a, a like a meaty, savory quality and some in some like yes. controlled amount to your barrel. Yeah. To yeah. get this like tech and, and you mentioned mouthfeel it, it affects mouthfeel as well it's, it's oh, yeah, like creamy yeah, yeah.
2: And makes it, it yeah. make it so creamy yeah i'll yeah. Yeah, I, I, I explain it i'll get know. a battle
1: bottle later but the thing is also like the beer right
2: there in the warehouse right now it's 14 celsius which is around about 55 60 fahrenheit it's actually too cold to drink that beer that mm. beer needs to be drunk at proper room temperature like at least 16, 18, 20 Celsius, like properly warm, then it becomes so... It's like, if you drink that beer, you ate and you drank at the same time. It's like a complete meal.
0: <laughs> How do you then go, you know, take take this slurry that you've heated and then, you know, what? what's the next piece of the process? Are you pushing that back into some other... Fermenting or finished beer that's in a barrel. Are you diluting that down that you then use as a blending stock, or do you pre-measure and know how much you might add into something that's developing no. in some other? How do, how do you go about using
2: just, it? Right, right now, I'm going to make about ten gallons of that stuff. It's not much. I'm going to add it to one barrel. But whether it's five gallons or ten or fifteen or twenty gallons, I add it to one barrel. Mm. I'm just making one. All barrel of it like goes this. into one barrel. If it's, if it's too concentrated at the end. It's no problem, because I have more, more stock, you know. Yeah. I couldn't. You can could never, for for such beers, it's, you know, despite the fact that I already made the beer four years ago, I can still not predict where it's going to. So I'd rather make it a bit too intense, so later on down the road I can blend it can blend it down and blend it into balance, because it shouldn't get too creamy either. If, it's just, if it starts tasting like meat, then it can go a bit too sure, far. <laughs> it sure. has to have that umami flavor and that richness, but it doesn't. And I think it can go too far as well. It still has to be balanced in a way. Of course, there's a concept, and it will have that taste, but it shouldn't be too much either. So I'll just make one barrel with this. After 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 I heat it to 90 Celsius, so I'm bring it almost to boil, so all the enzymatic reaction stops. And normally, if you want to make a bouillon, then you, like in those factories where they make yeast extracts and stuff, they centrifuge it and then they have like a spray uh, evaporator. I don't have that stuff, so I can only add the whole thing back to a barrel. So it includes the, 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 the cell walls of the yeast, basically the dead ones, but I have no way to separate them out. And so far, I didn't detect any off flavors from it. But the beer is just, it's, it's, it's a fun beer because actually that that part of the whole process literally is trash everyone yeah, right. pours it away everyone just dumps it everyone either dumps it or with a barrel washer it goes out anyway and and it's in the, the same way last uh, no that's wait that's almost three years ago we made that experiment so you, you've probably seen uh, uh, barrels of lambic fermenting so if you have to if you make like most other beer, they put in steel tanks or even in barrels or whatever. But people always leave headspace in a tank for the beer to rise for the foam and everything. But you've seen that every barrel of lambic that ever ferments, this foam is coming out. It's for a good reason because there's, so we use old hops and, and, and boiling lambic because we don't want the bitterness, but it still has bitterness. So even a very old hop still has a little bit of bitterness, but we fill the barrels so with wort all the way to the top. So the foam escapes the barrel because in that foam, that's where all the bitterness of the beer is. So it's a way to get rid of the bitterness of the beer. Huh. Uh, if you ever taste it, can, you can taste it later because some barrels were foaming over there. It's so bitter. Like you taste it. Now or later, you still, I call it lambic cookies because there's a thick foam and then it dries up and then you can pick <laughs> it up like a cookie. Yeah. It's like, it has the consistency of a, of a sticky marshmallow basically, but it's pure bitterness. Interesting. So in that way uh, you get rid of the bitterness of beer. Oh, I forgot the question. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you oh, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. So that also that part is also considered trash. So people, yeah. people. Uh, for example, I think the first one started that was Pierre Tilquin, He puts uh, like plastic tubes on his on his barrels, so his barrels stay clean. So not all the foam goes over the barrels and it becomes a sticky mess. So Pierre Tulkin puts a tube on it. Goes to the front of the barrel. He puts buckets there, and the foam goes into the bucket, and he throws away the foam, so he keeps it clean and tidy. Okay. So what we did a few years it's almost three years ago, actually, yeah, can't believe it. Time flies, but then again, Covid happens. <laughs> um, so what I did, and the year before, of course, I did a few tests with it. But two, two years, three years ago, I captured all of that foam. And every day, because if you let it sit in those buckets for too long, it's like full of fruit flies right. and bugs and shit. So yeah, you have to keep it clean. So every day I emptied the buckets into a tank. And throughout the whole season, I realized like, and, and then that, that foam, of course, the foam of a beer, it's same as you pour a beer on a glass, foam will reduce to liquid again, of course. Same with that foam coming out of lamb, lamb barrels. It, it, it reduces to a liquid. That's extremely bitter. It's, it's not a good beer, I'll mm. tell you that. But anyway, I collected all the foam every day. We poured it into a tank, and the tank would close and put an airlock on it so no bugs could get inside. So I captured all the foam from all the barrels that came in here, and sometimes, man, sometimes you lose two and a half, three, four gallons per barrel. Wow. The beer's fermenting like crazy. There's so much foam coming out of it. So you have a massive loss from the start at some point. Of course you'll start topping it up before the pellicle volts. That's a whole different story. But anyway, we caught all that foam, we put it in a tank. At the end of the season we literally had a full tote, a thousand liters, two hundred and eighty, three hundred gallons of I don't know what to call it. Sure, sure. (laughs) Bitter soup. (laughs) But uh and then we took that thing and uh we distilled it. And holy crap, it's good. Huh. you can't believe it because there's still 6% of alcohol right, of right. course when it's very young it's it's like 0 0.1 or and then 1% alcohol but I put it in a tote and I let it ferment until yeah. the main first fermentation was done and we got it to about 5.8 almost 6% and then we distilled that because I was like oh. I, have, I have no idea it doesn't taste very good that's right. for sure but <laughs> if we distill it and the guy I'm, I'm working with he has a it's just like one street uh, further than here um he, yeah, he says that. I just a lot of says he, he does a lot of experimental stuff too. He said, and bitterness in general, he says that doesn't go into the distillate. Right. So we distilled that thing. Yeah. Yeah, and that's just crazy good so we're making a whiskey out of that nice. that's awesome. also trash but <laughs> hey <laughs> so, so, the, so the, <laughs> the first thing we yeah. talked about is the last step in the process is when your beer is finished and you have all the sediment and you're bottling your beer basically and what I just told is the first step in the process yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but basically it's, I mean let, let's try to and the thing is also like we did that distillation everything if it turn into shit good we throw it away that's it okay because I do a lot of things too I'm talking about the things here that do work and where I could right uh, makes sense of what I'm doing and in terms of using as much as possible of your resources. Uh, but it can just as well. We did, uh, we did, I did way more things that turned into absolute shit. <laughs> I just dump and forget about right. it. It makes a good story sometimes. But sure. <laughs> it has to make a good, you know, making, you know, that's all, I mean, that's, that's, we can talk about that for hours too. Making a product that's different, everyone can do that. Everyone can piss in a the bottle, then no problem. But making a product that's different and also very tasty and, and not just unique, but also something new, something. Refreshing, that's something all different, you know. That's what yeah. I'm aiming for, of
0: course. And As so- you're using this blending process, and you've got this barrel of blending stock with this umami character into it, like you know, in a typical blend, you know, how much of a finished blend might you work something like that into? I mean, it's not going to be 50 50 with another barrel, right? That would just throw things off in a weird direction. You know, is
2: it one Depends. out of four barrels in a blend? Is it one out of, you yeah. know i know I rem- I, I did, did the only like regarding production here's the only reference i have so far as that winter goes and that was a barrel with that yeast sediment thing uh I wrecked of 170 liters out of a 230 liter barrel so there was still a lot of slush in it but at some point you have to you have to bottle clear beer of yeah. course not the slush and then i blended that almost barrel i was with a barrel of uh, a port wine barrel but it was like the second use of a port oh. wine barrel, so the, the port character was not that obvious anymore. But it still brought that nuttiness you get from port, nutty oxidation flavor. That went so well with the umami meaty flavor you had from the other barrel. So And then that thing was a two-barrel blend oh. back then. So yeah. it was a total of 400 liters of beer we bottled. This. I mean, that's 100 gallons of beer. It's nothing. Yeah. But yeah, that's the scale I work at. And sure, sure. You know, I felt and <laughs> I felt bad about that for a long time that I make beer and such because there's, there's more demand than that, of course. But I feel comfortable doing that. And in the way I work and, and the, the amount of work involves and everything, it's, it's enough for me. So it's all whole different discussion anyway. But that blend was a part barrel and a barrel of the umami. Interesting. That's tea.
0: more a uh, more significant piece of the blend than I would have otherwise guessed. Um, yeah. But very cool. Let's, all, let's keep on the, uh, you know, one... We're getting on in time here, and we should wrap up soon. But I do, um, you know, want to stick on the mouthfeel theme for a second. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. with the uh, you know Piasso, that was one of our beers of the year in 2018. Yeah. One of the things that struck me in this you know pale peach vineyard peach fruit beer was the texture of that beer. Yeah. Um, that it had a silkiness to it that I described even back then as almost Cabernet Sauvignon like. I mean, it was, felt luxurious yeah. from a textural capacity. Okay in a way that we don't normally taste in a pale or blonde sour or uh, acidic acid forward beer and something mm. like that talk to me a little bit about how you you know structure and think about mouthfeel even in those very light fruit forward beers
2: yeah well it's very important i mean structure and mouthfeel is something that's, that's very important. a lot of brewers don't even think about but i think it's very important especially in a beer also because I only make (laughs) a little mix. But for example, in that beer, 2017 harvest was a very difficult year. It was not so much harvest, and the fruit was rather acidic. The sugar levels were also fine, but there was definitely a pronounced acidity in the beer. So then you have to start thinking about how am I going to make it a bit smoother, and how am I going to give it a good mouthfeel? Because usually when a fruit has a high acidity, it's... Very difficult to bring body into the beer, so you have to get it somewhere else. It's not going to come from the fruit, it's not going to be any right. magical thing happening to the fruit. So then it's all about selecting the right lambic from the right barrel, <laughs> and that happened in that 17. So that acidity of the fruit was fairly high. Um, so two, it was a three barrel blend basically, and two barrels were uh, American oak, and it's literally American oak that made the beer because, the, and, and and there was actually those two barrels. So it was one Pinot Noir barrel from Burgundy that was French oak, but also it was the first use of that barrel, and then the other barrel, was the first use of all of those barrels, so first use of one barrel of Pinot Noir from Burgundy, which in general makes makes a very rich, smooth beer, depending on where I source the barrels from, but if I remember correctly, those came from Martin, which is a village and make absolutely spectacular wines there and they give a lot of body, like those barrels actually give body to your Alembic and then the two American ones, they give that yeah, you know, like the French oak and American oak is vastly different Like it's different species of wood basically and, and the flavors too in American oak, yeah, more of that vanilla touch and a more pronounced and different spiciness than French oak as smoothness like a good bourbon comes from a very good fucking barrel because bourbon is very harsh and a very good barrel makes it very smooth <laughs> so that's why they charge the fuck out of those barrels so, yeah. they, so they give that a vanilla note and then that richness is the smoothness of the spiciness and everything and that's that's in that beer for example that's why i selected those barrels because i tasted the fruit and i'm like very good fruit the quality food was excellent but it was a bit acidic it didn't get the full ripeness that year well, it got to full ripeness, but at some point the ripening process just stops if you don't have enough sun. You know, no, oh, that's a whole different story. But that's how I. That's how we are always. That's that's how you have to be there. You have to be present. It's like you have to look at what's the weather doing. How's the fruit do we have any damage in the orchard and how much is the damage and how is how is it going to change the ripening of the fruit because if you have frost damage on part of your orchard and the, 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 the whole development cycle of the fruit will change you have to be there all the time and you have to talk to them. and i don't do all of those things i i personally do not own any land but i work a lot of lands yeah. and i work together with people who know their lands and know, and i'm learning so much from them so it's all of those factors you have to combine, like that harvest has a certain quality, you have to deal with that. How am I going to make the best beer I can out of that? And that's how I made it, like Peach Piazza 17, that's how I made a beer that was initially going to turn out into a, like a low body, very sour, but still very aromatic quality was good. At that beer. That's how I actually tried to turn it into a soft, smooth thing. Still had a high acidity, but it was very, very fucking well covered by a good barrel. <laughs> That's the challenge. Just I you know, fucking love my work. So happy to be back at work just like And I'm the happiest guy in the world. If I can make beer, I'm happy. <laughs> just last I told you last week I was a few days at the hospital. I told the doctor I have to go home, man. <laughs> I gotta make beer. So well yeah, at some point in life you have to realize that there's more important things than beer in your life. So yeah. Let's let's think. My health. Yep, that's about it. I think I'm going home now. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it just makes me happy. I mean, and then and then I just got home and then I uh, you know, still have a little inflammation. Uh, no big deal. And uh, a few friends called me and they said, oh, what the fuck's happening again? I said, yeah, it's same as last year, but very different, much lighter version. But I need some help. The next day, those guys, I mean, like, oh, holy shit, people help so much because they want to see me do my thing, right. you know. And then there's a lot of physical work, which, because of literally physical reasons, I cannot do right now. And then it's so nice to see that just people ask, tell us exactly what we have to do. It's just, it's humbling, it's very humbling, too. It is, it's, I'm happy if I can make beer. I'm so happy, man. If I cannot make beer, I'll fucking die. I'll get inflammations through my whole body until I explode. <laughs> so well we can
0: certainly hear the enthusiasm and can you know and get this sense for just how impactful that last year has been on you and uh, dealing with that and taking it away taking it away from this thing that uh, you love and it's exciting to see you back into it again and uh, you know as someone who's been enjoying tasting your beer for for years now uh, you can taste the excitement you can taste that spark and that spirit in it and, and uh, that kind of yeah you know, a finely tuned Palette that is trying to find the most expressive piece yeah. out of it um and it was uh, you know absolutely terrible to think that physical limitations and that this kind of you know your body might be holding you away from that uh, and it's fantastic to think that uh, you may be turning a corner on that at least uh, at least through um you know medication that can help you you know, keep the
2: symptoms down and uh, and keep doing what you love. Well, that's step number one. Step number two is completely get rid of this thing. Sure, it's all, it's all sure. in the food. It's, fuck, it's all in the food. We have to think what we're doing. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about beer. I'm going to yeah. talk about it for a maximum one minute. But food is everything. Eat fucking healthy food. Think about what you put in your body.
0: Well, like I said, I can hear and feel... The kind of passion that you bring to this and the kind of creativity that expresses itself in the bottles of the beer that you make is, uh, you know, has not just been recognized by us, but uh, by many beer drinkers and, and fellow brewers who also deeply respect what you do, including those that uh, like Girardin, you know, who mm-hmm. help you source those things. It's beautiful to see that kind of well-formed relationships, and it's amazing to see that kind of, um you know, that love from your peers that also want to, to see you be successful in that i think that's a great place to bring this to a close mm-hmm. for nearly 30 years G&D chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on vireman iceria shows multi-sweet flavor and a soft biscuit like aroma experience consistent and reliable supply with old orchards craft concentrate blends get detailed insight into your fermentations with brew monitor risk-free put ss brewtex advances to work in your brew house. And the Mettler Toledo InPro 8630i is your perfect helping hand. If you enjoy this podcast every week, please support us. Go to beerandbrewing.com. Click that subscribe button. Read fantastic stories like those that managing editor Joe Stang writes on the regular. Joe, thanks for joining me and co-hosting this podcast. Raf, it's been really incredible to talk to you about this. And I can't tell you how happy we are that you are on the up and up and moving. On the mend and uh, back in the brew house and back doing doing what you love. If people want to learn more about the writer where do they find you? <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. No,
2: you can't. How did you find me? That's the question. <laughs> <laughs> you tell them how to, how you find me. Then they know the answer. It's a secret. No, it's, it's, no, a no, it's secret. not a secret. I, I I don't know, man. I'm. Uh... At some point, I mean, we just we we're sitting here in, in the warehouse that I actually bought last year and I plan to make in this space and plan to make a little, not a tasting room because we can legally not do that, but I'll make a little event space in here and hope to actually sometimes host little events or private tastings yeah. for people or something. But for now, uh, there's a list on the website, I, th- I don't know if the website's still up or not. <laughs> there's a website which never gets updated, so there's a list of parts and restaurants on there where you can get a beer. There's an Instagram page, which I haven't opened in more than in a year, uh, which you can check for updates. I don't know, man. I'm not I'm not too much into social media. There's a list on the website, uh, balkke.be. There's a list of bars and restaurants. That is pretty much up-to-date still because not yeah. much has changed in the last year.
0: Right. Um, they probably don't have a lot of stock if they have any at all, but be patient. A, because Almost uh, all out. Yeah, yeah. but yeah.
2: next summer, I hope. I mean, we're bottling now, and then I have some... Actually I have some gooses in the bottle that were bottled two and a half years ago already. Like it's some I'm gonna get one of those I was just looking up where to get the where to find the bottle after drinking that beer. Some of these are fucking crazy good. Because Gooses need time in the bottle. Gooses right. are... hard you can let them sit for five years actually. There should be a fucking law that every goose has to sit in a bottle for five years before you can release. It's pretty much similar to champagne. Because if you make a goose really well it just gets so much better in the bottle. So there's some exciting stuff coming up and I hope you know, we're bottling the fruit beers now and I hope by next summer uh, there will be more beer available and then it will be available through those partners I work with, bars and restaurants. And probably for the US, for sure, 100% for sure, some is going to the East Coast, to uh, the Chico's. Uh, and it's like this uh, Italian dude in New York uh, and he runs like a supermarket. But sure. He has a big fucking beer, like, He is like a... Very good retail space. Right, right. Yeah, you, you are a the pro. Oh, yeah. for sure. I saw you yeah. did some some of those real estate. Yeah, exactly. I can't wait for doing that. I can't, I can't, really can't wait to go back to the, you. I haven't been to you guys in two years now. I mean, I gotta gotta go see because that place just gets fucking crazier every time I go there. I don't. <laughs> no, it's been two years. I just want to see. <laughs> Beautiful. I love the country, man. <laughs> hey,
0: that makes two of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. it's yeah. Fascinating.
1: Well, Raph, mm-hmm.
0: thanks for joining us on the podcast. It's been really fun. Thank you, so, thank you so much for thank you. Been thank
1: here. Pleasure to have you here. <laughs> thank you so For much, you to have guys. us here. Thank you.
2: This podcast is brought to you by Craft
0: Beer and Brewing Magazine. For those that love to make and drink great beer, learn more online or subscribe at beerandbrewing.com. Or find us on social media at Brew.